Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Again, that's paratruthradio.com forward slash paratruth. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mutual view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? going on paratruthers welcome to a brand new episode of paratruth radio my name is justin and i'm eric and we got an amazing episode for you guys today this is the last in the spiritual warfare series that we've been doing in season four the paracode aliens and demons so i'm looking forward to getting into it people turn to all sorts of books spells people, and prayers to protect themselves from dark or evil entities. Depending on one's beliefs, there are a variety of different actions that can be taken in doing this. The question is, what are some of those beliefs, and can they truly protect you? Now, going into the research, I, I really just found pretty much kind of what we've seen in the past from actually both sides of of the viewpoints that we have. Um, and you and I in the past had used the the secular uh, non-religious side protection and then when we came to faith we started using christian based uh protection and I kind of was using both and uh mm-hmm. you know one of the, <laughs> the one of the first memories that came to mind to do this episode was when you and I were looking into juju bag <laughs> I was literally just looking that up online as you said that. That's hilarious. Although the funny thing is, <laughs> I didn't type juju bags. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to know what you typed. <laughs> no, I typed. I t- <laughs> it's actually, actually, it, uh, it's pretty much the same thing. I typed mojo bag. Oh. Um, which is still used in hoodoo magic as well, right. but yeah, I guess probably tomato tomato. <laughs> But that was actually a form of protection that we had researched and, um, a former friend of mine said, no, don't do that. If you're going to do anything, do the, the spiritual cleansing that we did. And then we ended up coming back to faith. And it was just, I, I don't know why, but that popped in my head because I'm like, I, I, I remember all the different things we were looking into to try and protect ourselves at the time. 
Yeah, we've looked into other things as well. Uh, if you remember, we even used the St. Benedict's medal, which we used to wear on our ghost hunting uh, trips or investigations. And we used to believe that they would protect us by keeping a spirit from, you know, getting in us, you know, right. possessing us or from following us home, things like that. Right. Uh, and there's a number of other things I could bring up right now, but I think I'd like to extend them because uh, this is the type of stuff we're actually going to be talking about today. The items and the beliefs uh, that people tend to follow when it comes to protecting themselves from dark spirits. Um, and some of these we'll probably mention that we've tried before or have thought about trying before being led a, a different path or something. Um, but nonetheless, there's a lot of, me and Justin have been around. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we, we we have messed with some of this stuff in the past. And thank goodness for the Lord that he set us straight. I know when it comes to belief systems, there's a number out there. Uh, and I, I'm what I mean by that is more or less religions, uh, whether it's Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, we have the Muslim faith. Uh, there's so many different belief systems out there and around the world. Uh, and in fact, there's probably hundreds of faiths that we don't even know about uh, taking place in third, third world countries. Voodoo, hoodoo, those are a couple more, uh, which we could probably get into a little bit here. But I know in the future we're going to have uh, a series on dark magic and certain uh, elements of that. So we'll probably talk about voodoo and hoodoo more as faiths uh, both together and apart because they're actually a branch uh, well, voodoo is actually a branch of the original hoodoo, uh, that was created in West African, in West Africa and came up from Haiti. Um, but we'll get into more of that later as to how it came into voodoo, uh, probably in a future episode. But, you know, there's just a lot of things that are out there and a lot of different beliefs that people have and how they should protect themselves. Uh, and, and some of these people don't even follow a specific faith. Some of them will take different elements from different faiths because they just believe for some reason that it'll protect them or they hope it'll protect them. Um, and it's really interesting actually when you start to meet some of these people, uh, or if you've actually looked into some of these objects. Uh, now Justin, I know you have a few that you both tried and you actually want to talk a little bit about. So why don't you go ahead and give us at least the first one or two and let's discuss them a bit. All right. Um, one that I have used in the past, I don't use this anymore, but, uh, the white light protection, this was actually a part of the meditation that we had done for the cleansing, uh, where basically um, you're envisioning a white light in yourself. And then the white light in your mind, you expand that white light to uh, push at first just to the outside of your body, then push out to the perimeter of your house and further out if, you, if you're trying to protect more than that. Um, I have used that in the past. Um, I actually got out of that habit and just use prayer now. Um, even after being saved, I had, I had tried using the white light, uh, method. And to me, I, I felt it was pretty much the same effect as praying in the fact that you're, you're focusing on something, whether it's white light or prayer the prayer to me always just comes to me more naturally than the white light does now. Um, mm -hmm. Something that I still use and we have used in the past is smudging and uh, smudging sticks. And that 
usually it's different types of herbs. The most common one is white sage, but uh, there's ones that have like a mixture of frankincense, sandalwood, myrrh, um, and oddly enough, frankincense and myrrh were part of the Christian faith as well. Uh, more mm-hmm. so even the Catholic faith, because I believe they use frankincense and myrrh in their ceremonies, don't well, they? Both are brought, yeah, both are brought to Jesus when he was born, uh, by the Magi. Um, so they do have a specific element, uh, that's important in Christianity. Uh, but of course, that was more of a symbolism regarding his future death. Uh, well, I, I don't know why I said uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere. Um, what what brings up a good point? What does uh, frankincense and myrrh have to do with his death? How does that symbolize his death? Well, back in, you know back in those times, and I don't know if they still do them today, uh, especially in the Hebrew and Jewish faith. Um, but frankincense and myrrh were two of several uh, different. What do you call those? Um, are they herbs? Yeah. All right. Uh, two of several different herbs that they would actually rub on the body of the deceased uh, before wrapping them in the linen and placing them in to the grave. So bringing those to him were that representation of okay. we know, you know, we know what's going to happen. Like, I don't think they knew what was going to happen, but the Holy Spirit did. Uh, and in some way led them to choose these particular items. So basically just preparing the body for, for burial. I gotcha. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, one of the ones that you and I had used quite frequently actually was, uh, sea salt. Mm-hmm. You spread sea salt mm-hmm. around wherever you want to be protected. You and I have seen it and whoever watches Supernatural has seen it. They use it in the show to protect themselves against spirits specifically, and I believe even witches. Um, and, uh, this is another one that I honestly don't use anymore. Um, I, I don't know if I truly believe it anymore or if I've just right. gotten out of the habit. Um, but, uh, it's one of those other ones that we, we've used in the past and it's something that's kind of common with ghost hunters too. Yeah. Um, and actually it's, it's just, I want to talk about a couple of these for real quick. Yep. Um, but that one, you know, you and I definitely, we used to, uh, in, encase the car. We used to put a circle or a ring yep. of salt around the exterior of my car every time we would park in a particular spot that we we're going to be investigating in the hopes that the spirit would get trapped within, uh, or be unable to cross the salt, which is considered a, uh, purity item, yep. uh, something that would disrupt the, essence, I guess, of the spirit or, or absorb them so that they wouldn't be able to manifest beyond that salt line and hence follow you home or, right. you know, get into your car, stuff like that. Um, again, that's, that is one of those, I think it's more of a folklorish belief system. Uh, it, it's not something that is necessarily true. It hasn't been proven one or the other. Salt has been used in the past as a purifier. It is still used as a purifier today. Uh, when you look at meats that are dried out, salt is often right. spread on the meat to purify it, to keep it from uh, becoming what, like, not, I guess, does it keep it from becoming rotted or just become 
yeah, they, becoming uh yeah, they treat it with salt and that's how they had kept it from rotting. Um yeah. it a, it's a preservative basically. Yeah, okay. So it's a preservative. Um you know, and so so and we even seen it in the Bible. Um Elijah had used salt at one point for a similar reason to show it was used as a as a purity, a symbol of purity. Um but you know, that was definitely one of the things that we used to do and Every once in a while, I, I can't look at a salt container the same ever since. Like, whenever I pour salt, I'm like, eh, just throw a little list over here so no goose can come in. The- no, I don't really do that. But, you know, you still think about it. Um, one thing I wanted to jump back to was actually the white light thing because I don't think there's anything um, that's necessarily bad about thinking or believing in the white light. No. Um, I think it's more so what you believe that white light is or where it's coming from. Cause I still use it to this day. I do use it. I use it in two ways. One, I think of like when I ask God to cleanse me of a sins mm-hmm. or if I ask him to protect me, uh, I'll even ask him to protect me with the white light because I know like with his light, demons can't cross that. And you know, no one can really stand the light of God. Um, it's, it's just too powerful. And so I often think of it coming down out of heaven, you know, and surrounding me. And then sometimes I'll think of it as coming from me through the Holy Spirit, um, building that white light. And I often do that. Actually, I do that a lot. You know, I think of that. Uh, and that'll, I'll even use it as part of a prayer, you know, yeah. at the same time when I'm asking God to protect me. And sometimes I just believe there's a white light, especially when I'm in a dark, creepy area of a house. <laughs> you know, you know, when you're in like a dark basement and your mind starts running wild and you hear that noise and you're like, Oh, I need to get upstairs, but I can't go just yet. And I can't find the light switch. Just pretend there's light around you. They can't get you. There's light around, you know? Um, well, so that, yeah, you know, there, that's that. I mean, I, I personally, I just haven't, I haven't really used it just because usually if I'm feeling that way, I'll, I'll, I'll start praying instead. Um, but that is kind of the whole point of the white light is it, it's not coming from anything, but a higher source, whether that mm-hmm. is God or the Holy Spirit in yourself. Um, there have been people that say that it's coming from your, your higher self, whatever that means. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually even practicing the stuff that I have practiced. I still don't understand that the, the higher self thing, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a, a way to, there is still a way to use it, even if you are of Christian faith, because mm-hmm. like you said, it can be coming from somewhere other than yourself. Right. Um, and then the final thing that we, that you had mentioned before we move on is a smudging stick. Mm-hmm. I've talked to you in the past, how I wanted to get another smudging stick, not for the, uh, extermination or the, pushing away of spirits, but more so as a calming factor because smudging sticks do tend to have like, it's, it's like an essence, uh, which helps to relieve like stress and anxiety. You know, it has in a sense, a medical benefit, uh, for people who do suffer from anxiety or stress or, you know, headaches and things like that. It could be helpful. Um, and I think when it comes to smudging sticks, I know there's many people who are on the edge about it. Some people are just completely against it because it is something that is used by, uh, in occult practices, uh, to ward off spirits and therefore is not of God. Uh, but at the same time, and I know I brought this up in the past, many symbols, depending on what they are, because I think there are cases in which this is different, but, um, 
in many cases, a symbol only has the power that you allow it to have. And right. symbols, just a symbol, uh, unless you have faith in that symbol. And depending on what that faith is, or you believe that symbol is, uh, can determine a lot of things. And I know I had gotten into an argument with somebody, uh, regarding a, I think it was a pentagram or a pentacle. Um, well, the pentacle think, is, I, is right up, pentagram. Right side up, pentagram is upside down. But we were just talking about symbols in general. It was actually in a Christian, uh, thread on Facebook and they were asking about symbols like, what do you think about the idea that symbols on, that can symbols have power in and of themselves or does the power only come from the person who believes in that symbol? And I told them that based on my research and my belief, it's the latter. The symbol only has the power that the person puts into it. Mm. Well, of course, I got jumped by like 40 different Christians who were telling me I'm absolutely wrong and, you know, cut me down and this and that, which, you know, eventually you, you know, this story because we've talked about it. it happened about a year and a half ago. Mm. I left the page because that's not the way Christians should act. You know, that's not Christianity. Those aren't true Christians. Those are people who are so caught up in their faith and extremists in their way of thinking that they're so far beyond the truth that they're caught by the snare of the devil uh, by cutting down who should be their brothers and sisters in the faith. So very disappointing um, in that, you know, but nonetheless, I truly do believe that a symbol only has the power that you ought to have um, a crucifix. For example, let's face it. It's a paradox. The crucifix originally is a symbol of death. Right. That's what the Romans used to kill hundreds, if not thousands, it was thousands of people. Um, and yet here in the Christian faith, we use this object of death to represent life and freedom that Jesus, you know, had, had provided for us. So, you know, but people without faith can see that same thing and be like, oh, no, this is just a symbol of death. Nothing about God. Well, right. that's where your faith is. That's what you believe in. That's going to be whatever, you, you know, whatever is, is whatever is, is uh, in your mind. So, well, and. You brought up the pentagram and pentacle. Yes. And, yes. uh, that we, and we've talked about this before, I think just on ourselves. I don't know if we've talked about it on a show or on mm-hmm. an episode, but, um, that the Catholic Church, I believe it was the Catholic Church, used the pentagram as a symbol for the cross at one point. Um, to. Yeah. I can't remember who used it, but yeah, there was at one point where it was used. Uh, in the Christian faith to represent the wounds of Jesus Christ. That is the nails in the hands, the feet, and then of course the crown of thorns on his head. Um, and then a lot of people think, okay, well, even if that's true, an inverted pentagram is still evil because it's of the devil. It looks like a goat's head or whatever. Right. An inverted crucifix or cross is also of the devil. It's evil, this and that. But these are both modern takes. These are both things that only happened recently. Right. It, there's nothing in the scripture that says, oh, hey, look at this crucifix. If it's turned upside down, it's evil. Right. Well, guess what? Right. St. Peter, one of the greatest apostles of Jesus, was crucified upside down. Not because it was, not because he was evil, but because he felt himself unworthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was crucified. So what does that mean to me? It means to me that it's a humble symbol, an upside down crucifix. Could very well mean, oh, look, this is humility because this man was not worthy enough in his mind to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. But yet modern Satanists have decided to take that image and use it for themselves. Now, suddenly it's evil to everybody. Movies in particular are the ones who really use it. They're the ones who 
use the inverted pentagrams and crucifixes. Um, but when you look in the research, there's nothing that really supports either of them being evil. Well, uh, one thing that kind of comes to mind since I work for the post office now and something that I have to do daily is we have to raise the American flag. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people believe if you flip the flag upside down that, that that's bad and it's awful and you're not supposed to do that. But it's actually also representative of if somebody's in trouble. Like, for example, if there's a flood or something like that, an upside down flag means uh, citizen in, in trouble. Mm -hmm. so, well, same with, you know, I, I grew up being told that you can never let the American flag touch the ground right. because that's disrespectful. Like, seriously? Like, come on. Look, I'll tell you what's disrespectful is burning the American flag. That's disrespectful. Yeah. But letting it touch the ground, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've actually had that conversation with a couple of customers because I'll be putting it up and I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to let it touch the ground. I apologize. And they're like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, oh, good. I'm not going to be uh, lectured about letting it touch the ground. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's because the right person, or in this case, the wrong person hasn't come into the store yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of the other things that uh, I had come across for the, the non-Christian side of stuff was, uh, you know, crystals and gemstones. Again, something we've used in the past, something I actually still uh, very much believe in is that crystals have a power, but like you're saying, it's they're really symbols. They only have so much power that we're putting into mm -hmm. them. Um, but why do you believe that they have power? Because now, let, let me just, uh, I, I guess, not paraphrase, I don't know. Let me just give put this out there uh, so it makes a little more sense. Um, because it's one thing to believe in a symbol such as a cross, uh, to represent something. It's another to believe an object is capable of absorbing energy, uh, such as the crystals do, or even giving out energy. So there's a bit of a physical difference here between the two, where one is simply symbolism oh. and the other one is an active piece. Th so why is it? That's really what it is for me, is they, like, for example, the, the quartz crystal, it's believed that it absorbs bad energy and when you put it into the light, it cleanses it. Um, there's a bunch of different, uh, effects from different stones that are listed. If you're, if you're looking at it, especially at like a metaphysical store. Um, one of the reasons that I've believed that crystals have some type of power or whatever you want to call it um, force over certain things is a lot of research has gone into the fact that uh, oh, pretty much everything, but even crystals have a vibration and that mm -hmm. those types of vibrations will like the different stones that have different vibrations will affect humans because we vibrate at a certain uh, level. So that's why I still have have uh, a belief in it. Okay. Now, if I'm mistaken, because doesn't quartz crystal, and I could be wrong here, I'm sorry, 
but doesn't quartz crystal supposedly have some type of uh, benefit of creating a a energy field which tends to uh, spike haunted locations such as those weird places in the in the woods um, what do they call them the uh, the mystery spots and things like that that they talk about uh it's it's possible it, like a huge concentration of it you mean yeah like for example the ground just has a lot of quartz underneath it. I I could be wrong, but I could have swore I read or heard somewhere that those quartz were capable of producing an energy field, which would then give spirits more power, and hence those areas tend to be more haunted uh, in those like, locations in which the quartz is most present. Um, the, which would then give, you know, which I'm sorry, but which in effect would be the opposite of like what you're saying quartz would do in expelling Spirits, right? I get what you're saying. Um, I, I do know that that uh, I've seen stuff like that before too. I don't know if it was quartz or not, but um, there have been cases like with limestone and um, prime example. Um, there are people that believe that jails that are made out of limestone are to not only torture people when they're alive because they're stuck behind a wall, but to capture them in death and keep them from moving on. Okay. I don't know about quartz. I, I want to say I, I am thinking of some of an article that I saw that was similar to that. Um, but I honestly don't remember for sure what it was, uh, what it was saying for sure. Okay. So let's go ahead and throw this one out to our fans then. Uh, if any of you do have any insight on the idea of what quartz is used for specifically, or any stones for that matter, feel free to hit us up, uh, in email or, you know, through, through Messenger on Facebook or just on Facebook, you know, whatever. Um, let us know what you guys, let us know what you know. Uh, cause this is a good thing to understand. Cause the, the way I see it is that, Quartz, and it depends on the quartz, because I know there's rose quartz, right, and we have the crystal types, quartz, you know, right. clear quartz, and all that. Um, but I know that there are different methods, especially in mediumship, uh, those who conjure up spirits, in using it as either a protective method or using it as an amplifier uh, in order to talk to the dead. So I don't know if that's like a double negative or does it, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know. Does it push baddie bad spirits away and bring in good spirits or, well, you know, I, in, from what I've understood of it, it's, it's almost like a, if you think of a, uh, dream catcher, mm-hmm. catches the bad dreams, but lets the good ones go through. And mm-hmm. then when the light hits it, it cleanses those bad dreams of out out of it. So it's kind of that same effect as far as protection is concerned. I don't know about the amplifying part. I honestly have not done enough research to, to know okay. that part. I have to say the one thing I really do want to get is a dream catcher. I used to have a dream catcher when I was a kid and it was my favorite thing in my room. And I've wanted one for years. And for some reason I just, I haven't bought one because, you know, the things online are like from Etsy and stuff and you never know if they're any good because <laughs> it's Etsy. Yeah. Um, you know, some stuff is so cheap. So, oh man, I hope that someday I'll be able to get into, uh, a good Native American store because I know like 
those stores tend to sell some of the best products. Uh, they're handmade uh, with good, in, um, I don't want to say ingredients, but materials, with good materials. Um, yeah, man, that's nostalgia. I miss those things. I used to love having <laughs> one of those. Well, I mean, it, it's one of those things, too. Like, out here, we have a huge native culture because there's a reservation literally right down the street. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of cool to see them and the different styles and that sort of a thing, too. They're just very yeah. visually appealing. Um, and I, th- I think that kind of goes along with crystals and gemstones, too. Not only are they uh, a way of protection or, or of uh, healing yourself, but they're all all vis- visually appealing. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of part of it. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing on the the non Christian side that kind of, in a sense, kind of goes with Christianity is it says angels and spirit guides. This just this article that I'm looking at, um, and you know that kind of comes from the Christian faith, I think, too. As far as angels, mm-hmm. I'm saying not spirit guides, of course, okay. um, but just. Like we had talked about in the um, spiritual warfare episode, that was part of our cleansing meditation, and you had visualized the angels around us, right? Um, or, or saw them and felt like you had there was somebody pushing up against you so you couldn't fall, and that was an angel. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that kind of crosses both. Okay. Um. I do want to add two more here, actually, because I have a couple of my own. Okay. Uh, one that you had mentioned earlier was the Juju bag or the Mojo bag, uh, which you talked about just for a moment there. And for those of you who don't know, this is something that, again, Justin did say earlier that we've thought about trying to use. We've done a lot of research on it. We even thought about buying some products before we were being, before we were led away. Uh, but a Mojo bag is, uh, in the African American folk belief, uh, this originates from uh, like the juju bags actually originate from Africa and Haiti. Um, <clears throat> they're from the belief or the the faith known as hoodoo, uh, which is the pure form of what we currently know in America as voodoo, uh, which I can explain that in a little bit. But it's basically an amulet that's consisting of a flannel bag and contains a number of magical items. Uh, some would even consider this like maybe a spell bag or something like that. You normally carry it on you or leave it somewhere in your house to protect yourself uh, from a spirit or from some type of evil. But these can also be used as a way to bring on certain elements such as love uh, or luck, you know, money, things like that, depending on what you put in there. And there are, of course, a number of different things that you can put in there. Some of them could be nice things. To give you this, you know, supposed love bag or, you know, luck bag, uh, all the way to things that can be considered evil, such as a bag meant to try to kill somebody, you know, and depending on the elements you put in there, uh, which can consist of herbs, animal parts, minerals, coins, crystals, uh, different types of things, different types of amulets, they would all combine into one bag and that would be your item. Definitely kind of a weird, creepy thing, but... Nonetheless, you know, uh, <laughs> and as for voodoo, I might as well go ahead and just bring that up real quick because I'm sure people are going to be like, well, now I want to know what voodoo is and what the difference is between hoodoo and voodoo. 
And so hoodoo was originally uh, created in Africa. And when the slaves were then brought over to Haiti, they continued the practice of hoodoo. Now, from Haiti, some slaves are brought to America. And when they were brought to America, they were intertwined with Catholics, um, people of the Catholic faith. And the best way for them to practice hoodoo was to combine their hoodoo spirits with that of the Catholic uh, saints that, it, you know, St. Peter, uh, the Virgin Mary, things like that, that most Catholics would pray to. As a result, they created voodoo, which is just a marriage of two religions, basically, or two faiths. And it's actually really interesting because I was down in New Orleans and this is where I learned about it. So I kind of pride myself a little bit that I understand, you know, what this means. Uh, but we also have a couple of books that we've gotten in the past, uh, what, like, Maybe six years ago, I think we've got a couple books on voodoo. Mm -hmm. um, but basically what happens is when a voodoo uh, practitioner prays to one of the saints, in reality, what they're praying to is one of the spirits within their own hoodoo belief system. And many of those voodoo spirits or hoodoo spirits are understandably demonic entities. And I'm not saying that just on my own. That is part of the faith. And when you look at the pictures and the representation of what some of these spirits are, it's very clear that in Christian theology, that would be considered a demonic entity. When I'd walked into one of the voodoo shops on Bourbon Street down there in New Orleans, there was this crucifix, and Jesus was on it. He was crucified on this cross. And then there were five or six demonic Faces, they're black demonic faces with sharp teeth and tongues hanging out and red and yellow glowing eyes, uh, claws, things like that surrounding him. And that was a representation of the voodoo faith, the mixture of their spirits being those dark entities with Jesus, you know, which is just to me insane. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, but when you go into the culture and the historical background of the uh, Africans who had eventually come to America, they had to do that in order to protect their faith and continue practicing it. Because let's face it, the the slave owners at the time would not have allowed it. They probably would have beaten the slaves or have done something uh, as punishment for practicing such such a thing that was so far beyond the Catholic faith. Um, and we're not talking just Christian faith. I don't want people to think like, oh, that means Christians were horrible, but I mean, Catholicism is a denomination of the Christian faith. And in my personal opinion, doesn't always quite follow the scriptural structure of the Bible and what Jesus taught. Um, but they're not the only ones either. So I'm sorry for those of you Catholics who disagree. Uh, and I don't get me wrong. I think there are Catholics out there who are truly Christians who happen to be Catholics. And that's totally cool as long as you understand the truth. Um, the last thing I want to talk about real quick before moving on and taking our break, actually, is one that I brought up a lot, Justin, uh, and that was Devil's Shoestring. I used to want to get Devil's Shoestring so much. I, I remember seeing it, actually, <laughs> in Supernatural once. Oh, uh, yeah. Bella, uh, who was one of the characters in Supernatural in season... Four? I think it was season four, um, was hiding from, I think it was four. I'm pretty sure it was four. It's three or four. She was hiding from the hellhounds because she had sold her soul. 
And uh, she had some devil shoestring above her door, uh, and they explained the idea behind devil shoestring, which is basically protection. And what it means, devil shoestrings, means, uh, in a sense, to trip up the devil or to make him hobble, basically meaning he wouldn't be able to get into your house if you kept them above your doorway. Uh, so that was the other one that I really was interested in. And again, that comes from African-American hoodoo doctors because um, it's actually a plant that is found and grown here in North America. Uh, you can find them in the woods. So pretty cool. You know, if I really understood what they look like, I'd probably just go out there and hack them for the heck of it and have some devil shoestring because they're cool looking. <laughs> they're pretty weird looking. But um, nonetheless, anyway, I know it's time for break. So why don't we go ahead and do that? Alrighty, folks, we'll be right back with Paratruth Radio right after this. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on CannedAirPodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours, instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we had just completed talking about some of our favorite uh, non-Christian protection items. Um, and by favorite, I mean the ones that we have either used or find most interesting. But with that all said, it is now time to get into some Christian protection. How it is that pro- not just Christians, but certain denominations protect themselves from the likes of Satan. First and foremost, Justin, I know you have a couple that are based on just the Christian faith, the one, the denomination, I wouldn't even call it denomination because you and I are non-denominational. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to place myself in a category. Um, but do you want to start with that or do you want to start with like some of the Catholic and Protestant beliefs or do you want to just, I mean, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go with this? Uh, we can start with the Catholic and, and Protestant stuff. Um, okay. Cause I, I had kind of just looked at more so the, just the, the main Christian side. So, I, I thought mm-hmm. we could go into that because it doesn't kind of necessarily go with what we necessarily believe, but mm-hmm. um, it was it's something that's interesting nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that we actually see in movies a lot, and it's really strong, uh, a really strong belief system in the Catholic uh, uh, denomination, uh, and it is often seen used by exorcists, uh, priests, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that is the three most common items that are found in those denominations. Prayer, which isn't really an item, but still prayer is one. Holy water, there's one. And a crucifix. 
Now, we always see in the movies that we have the exorcist holding the cross up with the crucifix up at the possessed person and splashing holy water on their face. Um, immediately, right off the bat, many of our listeners will think, well, that just isn't right because items don't have the power to do any of this stuff. Holy water is just water blessed by a priest. I mean, does that make it any more special? You know, really? Because anyone, I mean, in our faith, in my faith, anyone who's a Christian can bless water and it'll become holy. But does it actually have power in and of itself? What I mean by that is, can I bless a bottle of water, hence making it holy water, and then hand it to somebody who doesn't believe in the Christian faith or holy water or anything like that? And have it still be holy water. Does it still contain power? And so I actually read an article. It's a really cool uh, article actually called, uh, it's on a website called ncregister.com. And it was a, uh, an article by Patty Armstrong, uh, who had interviewed an exorcist. <clears throat> And the exorcist went on to discuss some of the things that he does in his exorcisms to either protect people or to cast away uh, demonic entities. And one of the things that he brought up, of course, was using these particular items, you know. Um, but one thing that I thought was really cool, because over the years, I've always understood these items that have power in and of themselves. In fact... Uh, we would see in certain documentaries or even just in fictional movies, the exorcist would hand a bottle of water to a person and say, here, keep this with you. Spray it around your bed a few times before you go to bed. You'll be fine. But that is to say that the item itself has the power, not the person. Because just as this exorcist says, his name is Father Lampert, the items are not in themselves powerful, but instead it's the faith behind the items that make them powerful. Um, and in this case, he doesn't mean you simply believe that holy water is holy water and will protect you, but instead you believe in the one who has blessed the holy water, not the exorcist, but God the Father, uh, of which the power comes from, that is Jesus Christ. Um, and I thought it was really interesting to hear this because it's not often that you hear an exorcist say this. Right. Uh, and this is someone who I think, based on this article, actually understands the Christian faith. Um, now, whether or not these items really do work, I've never tried them. I've never will, most likely. Um, but if it's true, if you have holy water and you place your faith in it, what does... Like, how does that make it any different than just simply having faith without the water? You know, because um, if that's the case, you can simply place your hand on somebody and the same effect would happen if your faith is in Jesus Christ. As you would with the water. I think the one thing with with holy water compared to like touching them is a lot of people believe that a demon can jump from one person to another so with the holy water, you don't have to touch them. You can keep a distance, which, in my mind, if a demon's going to jump, it doesn't matter if touching them or not. <laughs> it's right. going to go into you. But 
I, I think that's kind of the idea behind it. It's it's kind of a, a distance thing. I can still bless you without having to touch you kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he, he says a few things that I'm a little, eh, you know, about. Iffy. Uh, yeah. One, for example, he says uh, when he talks to people who are looking to find protection, he says, if they're Catholic, I tell them to pray. That's good. I agree. Go to confession. I disagree. And go to mass. Now that depends on your understanding of mass. Um, cause mass tends to be, well, they read from books that aren't biblical, basically. Uh, the book of wisdom being one of them. Uh, so it doesn't really make sense to me, the whole mass thing. And plus, not that it's wrong by any means, but just some of the things they discuss and the sources that they discuss them from, just, I don't know, it seems off. Um, going to confession, that's something that is easily dispelled by Jesus uh, when he died on the cross. Because he when he died, he broke the veil between man and God so that we as people can go directly to God and not have to confess to a man. Uh, so I, that kind of bothers me a bit because they're kind of going against the scriptures and instead are placing what they call fathers, which is the priest. I don't call anybody father, but my dad or God. So, um, but they're basically giving these priests like power to forgive you of your sins. And I just think that's wrong. That's not true. That's not biblical. Uh, only God can forgive. Um, at least in the sense of salvation. Uh, the other thing that he says is, again, praying, going to Mass, and receiving sacraments. That one's another weird one, because that's to say that you need to work for your salvation. You need to work for your for your protection, which, again, isn't true. And so, of course, like sacraments, for example, can't, it depends, you know. Uh, I've actually recently had a discussion with somebody on a TV show that I worked on, and we discussed the rites of baptism, whether or not you truly need to be baptized in order to be saved. Uh, the person I talked to said yes, and I disagreed. Uh, we both had scriptural evidence to support both views. And I don't think this is one of those things that are necessarily like important when it comes to your salvation. Uh, but I think it's interesting to discuss uh, because Jesus says to believe and be baptized. Which... Okay, obviously we do what Jesus says, mm. but he doesn't say in order to be saved, we must believe and be baptized. He just says to believe and be baptized, which means baptism, in my understanding, and based on my teachers, uh, those who have taught me, and that's several of them who all agreed, is that baptism is just an outward uh, uh, symbolism or an outward – I can't think of the other word. So we'll just go with symbolism uh, that your faith is true, your obeying the command of Jesus because now you believe in him, you then will be baptized. Uh, and again, later we see that Paul in the book of Acts, when somebody asks him, what is it that he has to do to be saved? Paul simply says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But he doesn't mention baptism. We also see when the criminal is on the cross with Jesus and the criminal asks Jesus to remember him in heaven, Jesus turns and says, truly I tell you, today you'll be in paradise with me. But the criminal wasn't baptized, right. obviously, because he died. Um, so I, the person I talked to said he thinks that when, like in that case in particular with the criminal, um, he thinks that's a special condition. There's special conditions in which it's okay that you're not baptized, but it, you need to be baptized in reality. Uh, in most 
uh, situations in order to be saved. And I just, I don't know, I disagree completely based on scriptural evidence. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's like confirmation, uh, communion, things like that with the sacraments. I don't think you need confirmation. I don't think you need to go to communion, you know. Uh, I think it's important. I think both can be important and should be important, but it's not something that you absolutely need to have done in order to be saved, you know, and true and be like a true Christian. It's just this is where the denominations start to break up and get a little crazy. Um, But with that said, some of the things I do like about Father Lampert uh, that he explained is that of the the uh the holy water and the crucifix and he said for example the holy water in and of itself isn't powerful but the holy water reminds us of baptism and our new life in christ mm. so it's just a reminder it's a symbol okay the crucifix re- represents what we believe again that's what father lampert says and again that's true uh i know catholics tend to focus on the crucifix with jesus upon it so they focus more on his death than his resurrection. Yeah. Uh, and I only say that because I grew up Roman Catholic. I know that to be a fact. Um, and that's something has changed over the last like 12 years, <laughs> you know, uh, since I've been saved. But in uh, the non-denominational or those who have a relationship with Christ tend to focus on the empty crucifix as a representation of Jesus rising from the grave again. The thing that truly saved us. Um so, uh, you know, I know I'm going on a lot and I'm going to stop here, but those are just a couple of little things that some Christians use, the crucifix, the holy water. I know some do tend to use smudging sticks, uh, especially in exorcisms, um, uh, a number of different incense to help drive out spirits during a uh, an exorcism. But again, I think it really is going to depend on your beliefs and what those beliefs represent. Well, I, I think during an exorcism, they kind of concentrate on the frankincense and myrrh aspect as far as the, mm-hmm. the smudging is concerned. Um, but a couple of the things that I, I still have, have kind of a fascination with is the, the cross. Um, when I was in Sicily, I had bought a couple crosses and even uh, rosary beads. Um, not for protection or anything. It's just something that fascinates me. Um, so it, it is interesting to hear somebody of, of the Christian faith, even though it's Catholic, I get that, uh, basically lay it out and say, Hey, it's not so much the symbol, but the faith that you're putting into the symbol that, that matters. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> But now you wanted to get into more of the non-denominational, more of the non-denominational aspect of the Christian belief. So why don't we go ahead and talk about that a bit? Yeah, um, and and you can correct me if I if I have any mistakes on this. Um, but the the three major things that I have come across as far as uh, protecting yourself against uh, spiritual warfare is the armor of God, which I. Mm-hmm. Believe is it Ephesians in Ephesians that that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, you, oh, I, I thought you were gonna give me like the chapter <laughs> and the verses. I'm like, yeah, I can't remember. That's the, my. <laughs> I can't remember the, the verse or anything. But um, I also prayer and um, 
some believe fasting has to do with spiritual warfare. Um, yes. And I, I, I do believe that all of, all of those have a very good point, especially if you're looking at the Bible, uh, Jesus fasted in, uh, I believe it was 40 days in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just before his crucifixion, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no, the, for, the sorry, the 40 days in the desert was, uh, when he first, uh, began the miracles, like right before he began the miracles. Oh, what okay. happened was he went down to John the Baptist, John the Baptist baptized him. John the Baptist was his cousin, by the way, baptized him by water. And when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit fell down upon him like a dove and said, this is my son who I am well pleased. And then from there, he was carried away into the desert, uh, for 40 days and 40 nights where he fasted and then was led away by the devil to be tempted. Uh, and once he completed those temptations and, uh, officially, uh, completed the test that those temptations offered, he was then in his full glory as the Lord, as he should be, you know, as both man and God. So, okay. so but he did fast a number of different times throughout the gospels throughout his life. Oh, so. okay. So there was more than just the 40 days and nights. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so th- those are the three that stand out to me. Is there anything that I'm missing as far as spiritual warfare or spiritual protection is concerned? In the Christian no, faith. I don't think so. I mean, those are the most important. Um, the praying, the fasting, and uh, what was it? Was the third one you said? I'm sorry. Oh, the armor of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, those are definitely the most, the three most important things. It's remembering your faith. You know, remembering who you are in God and who God is. More importantly, um, the prayer obviously is the most important in my opinion. I think without prayer, we're just subject to, to fall, not to be lost. I don't think one can lose their salvation, but we can stumble. We can step back. We can become weak, uh, and hence be tempted by the devil easier because what prayer does is it builds the connection or the bridge between us and God and makes it stronger. It builds that bond. Uh, and the less we pray, the less of the connection we have with him. So prayer, I think, is definitely the most important thing. Um, followed by fasting. And I know I got in a bit of discussion with a couple of our friends a couple of years ago regarding yeah. fasting and casting out uh, demonic entities. Uh, I disagreed and said that fasting isn't necessary when casting out demons, while our friends said that it is necessary. Um and I think it's interesting because there's really only one moment uh, within the scriptures uh, that Jesus really says that we must fast and pray in order to cast out a specific entity or to cast out demons. And in this particular case, okay, so there is, throughout the scriptures, we see a number, or throughout the uh, gospels in particular, we see that demons are being cast out left and right by Jesus. Now, Jesus is God. He doesn't have to fast. He doesn't even necessarily have to pray in order to do it because he's God. He's the father. He was there from the beginning. The book of John, uh, at the very beginning says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, as far as we completely understand, I believe this is a truth is that Jesus is the word. He mentions it himself. He even says in the book of John that I tell you back in Abraham's day, I am. 
linking himself directly to the father as the father. So I think that's something very important to remember when it comes to Jesus casting out demons. God obviously speaks it. Boom. It's done. He's that's why he's the word. He speaks everything into existence. Now in, now we've also seen disciples cast out demons throughout the gospels. And at neither of those moments, do we ever see anyone fasting or is it said that they should fast uh, until Matthew 17 uh, verse 21 in particular, but we're going to go back a little bit to verse 19. So this is Matthew 17, 19. Uh, and it was right after Jesus came and cast out a demon, uh, who was throwing, uh, uh, a kid is this man's son into epileptic seizures and having him fall in the fire and often in the water as well. Um, he had said that he brought him to the disciples and the disciples couldn't cure him. So Jesus said in verse 17, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And then Jesus rebuked the demon and the demon was boom, gone. And the child was cured. Now in verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why is it that we could not cast them out, cast him out? And Jesus said in verse 20, it's because of your unbelief. For certainly I say to you, if you have faith as the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what that's telling us is there's a certain, what, what do you call it? Like tier? Was yeah. it that we said? Yeah. There's a certain tier of demon that can only be cast out through prayer and fasting, but that there are other demons that can be cast out simply by faith, simply by the word of Jesus Christ, by saying his name. And you don't necessarily need fasting. Um, and I think it's important here. And I don't know if this is true. This is just, I'm, you know, this is one of those things where maybe it could be true. Maybe it's not. When the disciples came and said, we cannot cast him out. We don't know if they've cast out other demons. They very well may have. And just so happened that this one they can be cast out. And of course, if they can't cast them out, their faith starts to, you know, right. they, they tend to lose, lose a little faith because like it's not working, it's not working. And then boom, they get beat up by a demon because they've lost their faith just enough. Um, so this is, I guess, my argument as to why I don't think fasting is necessary to casting out demons. But, or at least most demons, but fasting is important when it comes to reconnecting with God. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that fasting needs to be food. I know that it is scriptural that you should fast from food, you should fast from water. People still believe that today. I agree. I think if that's your thing, go for it. Um, because what it does is it helps you rely more on God to get you through those moments of like hunger and thirst. Um, and it makes you more hungry for God and thirsty for God. So that's a good little bridge there. Um, but in the 21st century, I think it's also important to fast from other things, things that may be more important in your life than food or water. Obviously food and water are the most important, but people spend so much time on TV, you know, watching TV or on their phone, on Facebook, on doing this, doing that. So many things that'll pull people from God. And those are the things I think we should fast from as well. I often will fast from TV in order to reconnect with God because what I'm doing is sitting there bored out of my mind. Um, I know there's things on TV that I want to see. I have to see before everybody else sees it so they don't ruin it for me on social media. 
And I started to think, okay, well, I'm getting anxious now because everyone's going to know about, you know, what happens on the show before I know it and they're going to spoil it and I'm going to be angry. Well, that's why I you think, fast from TV and Facebook. <laughs> then you don't have to worry well, no, about it. Yeah. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> yes. That would be the best thing. But you know, you, you get the idea that in the 21st century, there are other things that are yeah. pulling us from God, not just simply the idea of food, uh, and, and water. Yes. I think it's important that physically we should want or need, have the need for God. Uh, but I think that physical need can come from a different, a couple of different sources, you know, that we can, I think, pull ourselves from in order to place our focus more on God himself. So, um, I know some will agree, some will disagree with me, but that's just where I stand. Uh, that's, I just wanted to make that clear, I guess. Um, and then the last thing was the armor of God. So the book of Ephesians is written by Paul. And in particular, Justin's referring to, do you know the chapter and verses, or did you not look them up? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Yeah, that's my boy. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, it discussed the armor of God. And what he's doing here is uh, not literally, he's not telling us to put on a literal armor of God, but to put on a spiritual armor of God. And those things in particular... Um, our representation of our faith. The armor begins uh, around verse 13, uh, and it's where Paul says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Uh, verse 14, so stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. He's not literally talking about a belt, but he's talking about the truth and knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, that is, of God, of who Jesus is. Uh, stand firm, okay, so stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness, I like the little poem here that he does too, you know, <laughs> uh, waist, place, etc. Uh, but righteousness, it's, it's what we should be as Christians. We should be righteous. Now, yes, we are righteous in, uh, uh, the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, through the Holy Spirit, God sees us as righteous, but we should do everything in our power to remain righteous, which means to refrain from sinning, uh, whatever that sin is. You know, it's just to be as pure as we possibly can be, which is impossible for all mankind. Uh, but nonetheless, find that righteousness, righteousness which only comes from God. Um, fit your feet uh, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I've heard this in a couple of different ways. The one that I like the most, and I don't know if it's the only way, if this has a number of different, um, uh, I guess, branches for it. But the idea here from one of my teachers is that the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace is to be ready to move forward on God's command. Be ready to go out, to set out and be a disciple, to proclaim the gospel of peace to other nations, to other people, uh, be ready to go wherever God leads you to go. That's what that means. Um, and then in addition uh, to all of that, take up the shield of faith, which is, again, this is the most important thing. I think not the most important, but I think when it comes to this episode, it's the most important because a shield acts as a barrier, which is a protection, piece of protection, you know, a nice solid steel piece of protection. Uh, and that shield is faith because your faith is going to protect you more than anything. It's what you believe that's going to protect you. And in believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as long as you have that, the devil's going to flee. Uh, and then finally, take up the helmet of salvation, which simply means you know in your mind and in your heart that you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And of course, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which literally means it's the word of God. Your holy Bible is the spirit. It's the one sword, a double edged sword that's capable of slicing through both bone and spirit, uh, flesh, bone and spirit. So that's like super cool because, you know, regular swords only like can cut through flesh and bone, but this one cuts through the spirit too. So I would I love like to that. see somebody cut somebody's arm off with a Bible. And then you see the spirit arm fall off right afterwards. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think it literally <laughs> is going to cut somebody in pieces, but it does mean in both a, it means in a spiritual sense, but I think it means both in the sense of fighting spirits and then fighting spirits that are attached to people. Because it, what it sounds weird, but in the beginning of the armor of God passage, it says. To, uh, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning it's not against people, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, meaning it's those who govern the darkness, uh, of mankind or the sin. Um, and what we'll see is when you use scripture in your battles, whether you're facing a demonic entity, an exorcism, or affliction, or oppression, something like that, or you're facing somebody who's cutting you down for your faith, who is, you know, let's just say an atheist, for example, who is often, you know, at the throats of Christians, the only way to fight them is through the word, using particular scriptures, because what you'll see and what you find is those passages, they cut deep. Even if somebody doesn't believe in them, they do cut deep, they think about them, they resonate on a spiritual level. Uh, and that's the only way you're going to be able to win an argument uh, against somebody or win your quote-unquote battle. So it does work in both human interaction and spiritual interaction. But that was actually, the armor of God is the very first passage I, I think it was the first passage I ever memorized uh, the whole thing, 10 through 18, and or 10 through 17. Uh, but 18 is very important, too, because the final thing is to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, uh, which, again, just goes back to praying. But, um, yeah, interesting stuff and definitely very important to take. I think this is one that everyone should meditate on. I I don't do it as often as I used to, but I used to meditate on this particular passage every single morning on my way to work, uh, just preparing myself visualizing all of these elements as a spiritual piece of armor on my body so that as the day goes on, I'm not stressed out. I'm not attacked by entities. I'm not like, you know, led into temptation and it helps, you know, the meditation on that kind of thing. So, but yeah, good job, Justin. Those are, those are good, uh, definitely good <laughs> Christian elements to, to remember, uh, when it comes to the protection. So, so going through everything that we, we kind of talked about, uh, is there anything that was different or, or new to you that um, we haven't seen before or was it pretty much the same research? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been the same. I mean, we didn't really look into too much uh, new agey stuff. I mean, there's new agey stuff, but not like most recent 2017, 2018 right. type stuff. Cause you know, every year there's new things coming out. There's new beliefs. There's new, you know, all kinds of symbols and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> And I think the only thing that really stood out to me the most 
was again the the interview uh with that one exorcist who had explained that the item that they use they don't place their faith in the item themselves but instead it's the faith behind the items you know the thing right. that gives it power which is god um but yeah beyond that everything seems about the same since like 2009 so <laughs> 2008 um it's still interesting stuff, you know. It's so so interesting to see what other people believe and why they believe what they believe, you know. Um, using the crystals, for example, or using the salt or the the mojo bags. It's just it's fascinating to me. Well, one thing that I was actually thinking about when I was talking about salt, and then we went into crystals, is salt is technically a crystal. So it is. It, in a sense, they're they're using two different methods, but it's pretty much the same concept. Um, and I, I think that, uh, that article that you're talking about kind of applies to pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just the, the cross or the holy water, but if you're putting faith into anything, crystals, salt, whatever it is, that, that is the, the same concept, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, we have pretty much covered it all. It's been a pretty good episode. And, I mean, quite honestly, there's not much we can add as far as um, personal beliefs because we kind of have kind of gone over that pretty much. One thing that I do have to say was it kind of shocked me that you still use the light thing, even though it's a different concept than what we originally learned it. But it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool because in a sense, it's the same concept. You're supposed to believe that it's coming from higher power, not from yourself. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts or anything before we head out? No, I think I've, I've said my piece. All right. All right, folks. Um, I do want to bring up that... Uh, we, we do have a bunch of networks that we're on right now. We are on TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, Paranormal UK Radio Network, uh, radioandpodcast.com, and also Conflict Radio. And uh, make sure you're checking all of those networks out, as well as paranormalforum.net as well. Um, and make sure you check out Paratruth Radio, where you will find the Patreon account, as well as a link to our Public page, where you're... You can get some pretty cool swag for Paratruth Radio. And I think that's about it, guys. That ends the series on spiritual warfare. Uh, we will be getting into some hoodoo, voodoo, black magic type stuff next series. So until next week where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.